I found it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son. <laughs> that whoever believes in him will not perish. But they will have everlasting life. Somebody say life in this house. So good. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you for giving us the ability to understand, to receive, and the power to live out what you are saying in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen in this house. <laughs> now, I have, to, I have to warn you. I don't mean to make... A stumbling block. I don't want to cause anybody here to stumble, but I have a confession to make to you this morning. At times, my wife and I like to watch movies. If that's against your religion, I'm not trying to force it on you. Uh, I didn't watch movies very much growing up, really. I was like the guy who was, you know, there are people dying and going to hell. Why are you wasting your time watching a movie? I didn't know how to hang out with people. All I knew how to pray for people. I went door to door. You know, you're, you, you could die today. Do you know where you're going to go? Like, I was just like, I would chase people down. And uh, that's what I grew up with. Then I got married, and when I got married, I found out that my wife's family has, like, their own subculture, and, and their subculture is incorporating movie lines into their normal conversation. <laughs> and I didn't know any movies. I watched very few movies, and so they would all of a sudden go into these, like, phrases from movies I didn't know they were. And I'm standing there, and the whole family's laughing, and I'm like, what? They didn't say anything funny. But I realized it was funny because one of them caught on to a movie line and was able to incorporate it in their conversation. So I, I, one day I was telling Mike, I was like, i got to go watch all the movies you guys quote so I can know what you guys are doing when you're doing it. So we got all these movies and started watching these movies that were part of that subculture. But I, I got to a place where I genuinely like going to the movies, and I've seen miracles at the movie theater. It's true. People get healed. I've led people to Christ at movie theaters. never know what's going to happen. And uh, so it doesn't mean you have to leave Jesus outside in the car. Just stay here. I'm going to go watch a movie for a little while. I'll be back. <laughs> but I came that I found, I found a certain kind of movie that I like, and that's one that has these plot twists at the end of it. You're going along, and you think you, gotta under, you, you understand what's going on, and then all of a sudden, it's like the person that you've been rooting for is now the bad guy or something. You know, you're like, what, what happened? Where did that come from? I love those kind of movies where there's some kind of twist, like the last 10 minutes, where like everything just changed. And uh, so I, I'm warning you ahead of time. The reason I'm saying that is because this particular message has a plot twist in it, just because I like plot twists. So this one has a plot twist. You think you know where I'm going to land at and what I'm going after, but I'm warning you ahead of time. I'm like giving you a teaser. This is a trailer uh, preview. The end of this movie has a plot twist, all right? And so as we're looking at that, I want you just to be aware if you're like, oh, well, I know what this message is about. No, you don't. All right. As we get into the message this morning, I've got some really good news to tell you. Anybody like good news? The Bible is supposed to be good news. You know, the word gospel means good news. And so if we're not sharing good news, we need to rethink what we're sharing, right? And so I have some good news for you this morning, and that is God loves you. Listen to me very carefully. God loves you, and it's not your fault. This is really important to get. God loves you, and it's not your fault. The reason it's important to know that is because if you think it's your fault, then you can think that you somehow earned it. Yeah. 
If you have somehow earned it, then you can lose it. And so the reality is God loves you, and you didn't do anything to get it. You were just you. You were God's idea. You're his dream come true. He wanted you to be existence, and that's why you're here. He loves you, and he can't help himself. God loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Like we have two kids. I love them because I do. They didn't do anything to earn it. They just exist, and I love them, and I can't help it. They can be the little snotty-nosed brats, and I still love them. And you know you've been a snotty-nosed brat sometime before God. Don't pretend you haven't. He said, you know what? I still love you. God loves you, and it's not your fault. Look at somebody and say, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. You're adorable in heaven. They're like, oh, look at that. They're so cute. I can't. I just want to go over and pinch their cheeks. <laughs> he is crazy in love with you. He really is. This is honest. But you say, well, is this some, just some type of like think good, help yourself out kind of message? How do you know that God really loves me? How can I really know that? I have the answer. It's in this old song. You might have heard it because the Bible told me so. <laughs> well, where does the Bible tell us that? What does the Bible say that proves that God loves us? I'm glad you asked because we just quoted at the beginning, John 3 16. God so loved, somebody say loved. loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The proof, the evidence, the, the way that you can know that God loves you is because Jesus came. Okay, let me, let me, let me say this this way. I told you this is simple, but we get this, it changes everything. When I was well, let me, I'll start here. My mom was 10 years old. The Lord came to her in a dream and told her that she was going to have two children. One of them was going to be a junior, and then the next one would be three years later, and you were to name him Benjamin Wade. My mom has had two children. My brother's three years older than me. He's a junior, and I, my name is Benjamin Wade Williams. That's not proof that God loves me. How do I know God loves me? Because Jesus came. Let's fast forward a little bit. Five years old. Now I'm going to go before that. When I was born, the doctors said I wouldn't live to be five years old. I had uh, RH factor disease, is where your parents have opposite blood types, and the second baby is really severely attacked. There's uh, medication and stuff now, but back at that time, it was kind of on the line of that uh, coming about. And so I was that second baby, and I was almost completely deaf, very weak, Born premature, they said, you're not going to live to be five. That was the report my mom got. And then when uh, someone came and prayed for me, if, you, if you're ever familiar with the Brownsville revival, John Kilpatrick, the pastor, is the one who officiated my parents' wedding. They, he prayed for me and went in for my next checkup, and the doctor said, we can't explain it, we don't know what happened, but there's nothing wrong with your kid. <laughs> Praise God, he's so kind, he's so good. But me getting healed right then is not evidence that God loves me. How do I know God loves me? Because Jesus came. We're starting to get a pattern here. When I was five years old, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice, and he called me to preach the gospel to the nations. That's not evidence that God loves me. What could it be? How can I know that God loves me? 
because he sent his son, because Jesus came. When I was 11 years old, you guys are starting to get a picture. I was 11 years old. The Lord encountered me in a powerful way. I was filled. I was filled with the Spirit for six hours. But that was not evidence that God loves me. <laughs> I wonder what it could be. How can I know Jesus loves me? It's because Jesus came. <laughs> I started preaching when I was 16. Officially, I started preaching when I was 16. When I was five, I started preaching. Uh, but uh, officially in a church, I started preaching when I was 16. I was five. I used to go across the street to my friend's house, and they would have a like, little clubhouse, and I would stand up on the little milk crate and wave my finger at people. <laughs> and uh, that's when I, that was unofficial. I remember I had one time where one of the parishioners, one of the other little kids in town who, on the street, decided to not go to church. And he wanted to ride a little bicycle and run around right outside the church building. And I had righteous indignation fill my heart. <laughs> and so I went outside, and I, the first thing my eyes fell on was a bow and arrow. I don't know why there was one out in the backyard, but there was. I picked it up, filled with anger that I felt was righteous, and I pulled back the string, followed him along, <laughs> let it go. It was a real bow and arrow. This ain't a nerf, dude. It was a real deal. Thankfully, he was quick on his feet. It just skimmed his stomach, like it scratched his stomach. It, the good news, he never missed church again. <laughs> it's a new technique. Don't you fall asleep on me. Just kidding. Got a little, got a little better. I didn't love people back then. <laughs> Do you know if you're going to die today? <laughs> I'm here to help <laughs> I started officially preaching when I was 16 years old. The first time I preached was on a Sunday night. It's when the youth would run the service once a month. And I was the first youth that ever preached during that time. Most of the time I was a youth pastor. And I didn't know what I was doing. No one taught me anything at that point. I had a piece of paper. In fact, I found what I was preaching on by taking my mom's Bible because I couldn't find where I put mine at. And I opened my mom's Bible and I found a place I was highlighting and said, I'll preach on that. And I made a couple notes, and I said everything I knew to say in five minutes. And then I knew I wasn't supposed to be done, so I just kept talking. And I remember somebody came to me later and was like, I could tell when the anointing hit. It was about five minutes after you got started. <laughs> That's the truth. That's what I said. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. And I got done preaching. I didn't know anything about altar calls, nothing, I, nothing. And so I got done, ran out of stuff to say. And I said, all right, here's a youth pastor. And he came up and he said, well, if you want to respond to what was just preached, just invite you to come up. And literally, there was about 200 people there. Literally 80% of them, including the senior pastor, rushed to the front, fell on their faces, and began to cry out to God. And I remember standing on the front row going, what in the world is this? That was my first time preaching. But that is not evidence that God loves me. <laughs> we have a ministry now. I, I have the privilege of working in Global Awakening and speaking to people from all over the world, mentoring people, investing in leaders all over the world. But that's not evidence that God Amen. loves me. <laughs> Our church, we get to pastor meets in the headquarters of a ministry that started by revival. But that's not evidence. Some of you are getting tired of this now. 
<laughs> How do we know that God loves us? Well, the Bible tells us so. What does it say? It says right here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's almost it's, it's like sometimes our lives have God coming into a courtroom every single day. And it's like he comes into the courtroom and there's a judge that's standing there with a gavel. And it's like God's love is on trial every single day. And if things are going our way, then the judgment comes down. God loves me. He sees me. But if, it, if things are not going our way, if it seems to go down for some reason, someone doesn't notice us. Someone doesn't think we're cute. We don't have the, the, the job promotion we want or we get a flat tire going somewhere. Somebody isn't nice to us and it's like God where did you go how do I know if you love me God if you love me then I wouldn't have come from this background if you love me this thing wouldn't have happened in my life God how do I know that you love me and I believe that it's time to take God's love off trial you see the privilege we have is to live as a people who are loved you can you can live your life looking for love and you know the old song, if you do that, you find it in all the wrong places. But you can be a people that instead of looking for love in life, you can look, you can live from love. You can live your life from being loved. And when you live your life from being loved, then anything you encounter is not a demonstration of God's love. It's not trying to prove if God loves you or not. Now you face that situation as a loved person, and it changes everything. Let me, let me just say it this way. Some doctor came to my mom when I was in her womb and said, your child isn't going to live. That's not proof that God doesn't love me. When my mom was, or not my mom, when I was six months old, sure we get that far, right? That'd be weird. When I was six months old, my mom and my dad got a divorce. Both of my parents married multiple people after that. My mom married five men. My dad married three men. I came from a broken home. But that is not evidence that God doesn't love me. <laughs> my dad died of cancer. That's not evidence that God doesn't love me or him. My brother came down with diabetes when he was young, still contend contending for the manifestation of his healing to this day. That's not evidence that God doesn't love him and doesn't love me. I grew up in an environment that was very poor. That we lived in a trailer that was older than my mom. And it was at a place you flip on the lights and the roaches went running. Very, very poor area. We were considered white trash, so to speak, where we were at. But that's not evidence that God doesn't love me. <laughs> where I grew up at, people were on drugs. They were having abortions. They were on house arrest from the police. They were getting kicked out of school. That was what I grew up in. I got drunk for the first time before I was six years old. But that's not evidence that God doesn't love me. 
There's only one way that we can know that God loves us. The Bible does not say, I will, I will prove my love to you in this. Look at where you came from. He doesn't say that now I will prove my love to you. I will give you the best family you can have. He doesn't say I'll make you the tallest person around. He doesn't say I'll give you a full head of hair. Listen, God does not say look at some circumstance. Look at some gift you have. Look at how much money you have. Look how much people like you. Look what's going on in your life and what other people are doing around you. That you're the most gifted. You're the most wanted. You're the best and you're the highlighted person. He doesn't say look to any of that stuff that goes up and down from day to day. He said, there's one way. There's one way to know that I love you. I sent my son. I am convinced that when we stand before God and we look at the one who was sent for us, no one's going to say, God, if you loved me, then I wouldn't have had this happen in my life. If we dare say that, I'm convinced a father will look everyone in the eye and say, I understand, but I sent my son. You see, the fact that Jesus came doesn't go up and down from day to day. It doesn't change depending on what's happening around us. It doesn't change based off the economy. It doesn't change on if my hair does what I want it to do. It doesn't change if, if, if I'm getting the promotion I want or things are going my way. It doesn't go up and down. There is one way I can know I can live my life from being loved. And that's not looking at my pedigree. It's not looking what gifts I have. It's not looking at what I'm called to do. You see, Jesus didn't call me to ministry so I can feel important. Come on, somebody. I'm not preaching so I can have something to do. I'm not preaching so I can say I'm important in the kingdom. Jesus didn't call me. In fact, the Bible says that the ones who are called to preach are the ones who are laying down their lives. We are called to be gifts to the body. The reality is that God loves you so much that he reached down in the situation I was at, pulled me out, and said, when you look at him, you're going to know that I'm God. If I find my value, my significance in my calling, then the very thing that I'm anointed to do will become a stumbling block for me. It will become a temptation for me to fall. And the reality is God wants to do more through our lives, and some of it might be held back because we're trying to have the best testimony. We're trying to find our value in having something go our way where somebody notices us. And God's saying, when we get this thing right, we recognize my demonstration of love for you is found in one place. Then the platform is set for all of heaven to break out. And this, my friend, is your invitation. It's to let all heaven break out. I love the privilege of things that God allows me to do, that I have a partner in crime, so to speak, that... If you could call robbing hell a crime. My wife and I get to rob hell on a regular basis together. And your invitation is to rob hell. Not as a slave. Not as an employee. But as someone who is worth dying for. You see, the reality is Jesus couldn't live without you. So he didn't. He's absolutely crazy about you. He didn't die for you to prove how much you deserve to go to hell. He died for you because he didn't want to exist without you. He knew what it would take to get you back 
And so he did that. Jesus is not the measuring stick of your failure. He's a value statement from heaven. You are wanted, and it doesn't change. It's not a feeling. It's not like I'm starting over every day. It's not if it's the way I feel like it is. It doesn't change. If no one likes you one day for some reason, you're still loved. You're still amazing because the one who created you knows who you really are and knows that you're worth dying for. If you're looking for somebody else to give you value, then you have just placed them as God in your life. As soon as your past or someone else's voice can be elevated above the word of God, then that has become an idol for you. And it's not that I can't receive from you, but it's that I'm not requiring you to love me in order for me to be okay. You see, Jesus was able to love people around him no matter what was going on. When they didn't know who he was, he knew who he was. And so he was able to minister to them based off of him already being loved instead of hoping they would love him. And so many times we're living our life requiring somebody else around us to be okay before we are. But Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved them anyway. See, God is removing the idols in our lives. There is only one way that we can know we're loved, and it's Jesus Christ. I'm going to go a little bit longer today. I'm almost done, but just blame it on me being a guest speaker. (laughs) The reality is pastors are longer preachers. They just make them into series. I'm just saying... (laughs) I'm not making this into a series. i got to get it done today. So we'll get it done in just a minute. And uh, this is where we enter into the plot twist of this message. The world desperately needs to meet people that know that they're loved. They need to meet people who are full. They need to meet people that are not insecure. They need to meet people that live a life of freedom. They need that. Your invitation is to bring freedom with you wherever you go. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where's the Spirit of the Lord? In you and on you. Everywhere you go, In him, you bring freedom with you. The starting place is to receive the freedom for yourself so it has room to get out. Your invitation today is to live as a loved person. This is what Jesus did. He knew who he was so he could see who others were. See, when you don't know that you're loved then all your actions are all about yourself. You're a friend with somebody hoping that they'll be a friend with you. You want to get married so that somebody chose you. Uh Uh-oh. It's all about me. You know the old song. It's all about me, Jesus. And all this is for me, for my glory and my fame. You know that song. (laughs) That's the way that we live. When we don't know who we are, the reality, listen to me very carefully. 
the desire that Jesus wants to do in you this morning is he wants to love you to death. He wants to love you to death so you can be truly alive. Until you die in his love, until you don't need somebody else to love you in, for, in order for you to know that you're loved, then you're not really alive yet. Life is on the other side of the cross. You need to take up your cross. you got to deny yourself. And he doesn't say deny yourself by him pushing you down and saying that you're worthless. He comes and says, what I want to do is I want to fill you with myself. I want you to know that I love you so that all the other substitutes will not satisfy. That's how he loves you to death. And you're like, I am loved. God thinks I'm worth dying for. And he's right. As soon as you think God is right, it makes life a lot easier. Stop arguing with him about your value. That's arrogant. If he said you're worth dying for and you say that's for somebody else, who are you to say that? He's absolutely crazy in love with you. How do I know? The Bible told me Jesus came, and that's the evidence of God's love. Stay anchored to his love. Receive his love. Not, you may not feel anything. I'm not talking about a feeling. Feelings may come and they may go, but Jesus died on the cross, and that does not change. And so you can come to God and say, God, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you, you found me irresistible. I thank you, you counted me as the best place for you to live. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am yours. You counted me to be royalty. You brought me into your family. You created me because you wanted me to be alive. I thank you that Jesus came. I thank you that I'm loved. And then you can let other people in your past or around you, let them have their own problems. You're not required to have issues. Just because you came from a certain background doesn't mean that you're required to have problems. If you have them, don't pretend you don't. But if you, just because you came from somewhere, don't let somebody say, you must have this problem, that problem, and that problem. It's not automatic. Otherwise, we'd say, Jesus, what happened to Joseph? You came into this environment, and they thought that your mom, you know, slept around, and that's how you came to be. And they all accused him of this thing and that thing. You need to get some help. But Jesus was okay. Just because you came from somewhere doesn't mean that's who you are. He knows who you are. And so maybe you grew up around people, they didn't know who they were, so how could they see who you are? Forgive them because they know not what they were doing. But God, you know, you know who I am. And so I choose to lean in to you today. I choose to receive who I am from you and not where I came from. Whether it was good, even if it was amazing, they're still short-sighted. No matter what your background is, Jesus takes you higher. He levels a playing ground for everyone. He is the truth. And he wants to raise up a company of people that know that they are loved, that are free from themselves. Because so many things we're doing in our lives many times are just about us. They're just about, I want to be loved. I, I, run, I, I, I run so hard. I work so hard. I try to do all these things. I hope I'm doing okay. But there's freedom in knowing that you're loved when you're sleeping 
and you're loved when you're raising the dead. You're loved all the time. Why does God speak to you when you're sleeping? Because he can't wait. He just wants you. Why did, he didn't build a house and say, come and visit me one time in your life. He could have. But he said, this is how far away I want to be from you. And he came and said, I'll make my home in you. That's how far he wants to be. The creator of the universe. Do you know who chose you? Do you know who's in you? It changes everything. When you start putting more and more stock and more and more value in God. And not others who don't know that they're loved. Because they're still trying to earn it. You're free. Some of you here are more free than you know. You're already free and you don't know it. Your chains are already broken off. Don't live like you're still chained up. All you have to do is say, God, I thank you that you love me and then live like it. I've seen people's personalities change because they have developed personalities as defense mechanisms. And if you leave today and you're like, I don't know who I am anymore, that's okay. Go on a journey with the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you. Your pastors will help you. Oh, I know who you are. You're not selfish. You're not rude. Look up 1 Corinthians 13. That's who you are. You are made by love in the image of love to become love. That's who you are. Just be loved. Be loved and be love. That's all you got to do, friend. And the world is in desperate need of people that know, that know that they're loved. I'm going to close. I want to ask everyone here to close your eyes for just a minute. I'm going to do a couple of invitations here. I mean, I want to talk to you. The reason I'm having you close your eyes is because I want you to pretend for just a moment that no one else is around. It's not a spiritual reason. I'm not going to come and poke you or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's easier to pretend no one else is around when you've got your eyes closed. So just imagine for a moment, it's just me and you talking. I'm going to do a, a, a two-part thing here, one now, and then uh, Pastor Ian's going to come up, and then I'll do another thing in a minute. But uh, I really want to commission you out into your lives, and I really honestly believe you're going to see an increase of a supernatural activity in your life. I really believe that. Uh, and part of the supernatural activity happening in your life is what I'm going to start with. I want to ask everybody here a question. I want you to be honest in your own heart. Would you honestly say today that you are right with God? Has anybody ever told you that Jesus is absolutely crazy in love with you? Has anyone ever told you that God's got a plan for your life and it's not for you just to exist? but it's for you to be in right relationship with God, to be who you were created to be, and to do what you were created to do. Did you know that you're worth dying for? You ask many people, why did Jesus come? And they're like, so we can go to church or be a good person. Or Jesus came because I failed God. He came because of my sins. The reality is the Bible teaches what I just said today. He came because God loves you. 
And I'm going to ask just a minute here for two people, two kinds of people. I'm going to ask today if you need to get things right with God. If you have never said, Jesus, I want to give you my life. That's one person I'm talking to today. Maybe you were invited here by someone. Maybe you even grew up around church or something, but maybe you've never said, Jesus, I want you. You've never made that decision. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to be who you created me to be. I want to give you all of who I am. If you've never done that, just a minute, I want to pray with you because today's your day. And if you feel your heart beating fast, that's just God saying, I love you. That's you. Let's do this. Another person I'm talking to today is somebody maybe a long time ago You said, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to be my Lord. But you know you haven't been following him. It's been a while. It's been some disconnect there. And you know I need to get things right with God. Today is your day as well. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for any one of those two two groups of people, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Not yet, but just a moment. I know that God is moving on your heart. And today is a day for you to get things right. Today is the day to draw that line in the sand and say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus already proved that he wanted you. Now it's your turn to say, I want you back. And it begins by just coming to God and saying, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to receive your love and to be who I was created to be. I don't want to just exist. I want to be what I was made for. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, one of those two categories, either you've never said Jesus, even if you're a good person, but you've never said Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. Or if it's been a while and you know you haven't been living for God, that today is a day to get those things right. When I get to three, I'm going to ask you to let me know that you're making that decision today by raising your hand. And I want to tell you, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about what anybody else is saying saying or thinking. Whatever's going on with them, this is a personal question right now, and I want you to be honest. Are you right with God? It's time to make a decision. Raise your hand. One, two, three. Let me see them. Higher. I see hands going up all over. Anyone else? Quickly. Quickly, quickly, anyone else? Quickly, you know it's time to get things right. All right, you can put your hands down. I want to ask everyone here to stand with me for just a moment. Everyone in the house, please stand. I understand in an environment like this, some of you are saying, I'm getting things right with God. And some of you here are giving your life to Christ you've never done anything like this before. In just a moment, there's several hands that went up. I know it's a variety of people. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you, not yet, but I'm going to ask you to join me here up front because I want to pray with you. And I only want the people to come up front that mean it. Only if you're being honest and you really want to get things right with God. There might be some people here who didn't raise your hand. This is your chance. If you didn't didn't raise your hand and you knew you should have, this is your next chance. Okay? If you are serious when you raised your hand that you want to get things right with God, or you meant to and you didn't, right now, step out of your seat and come and join me at the front. Quickly. Quickly. Come on up. Quick. Quick. 
quick. Quick, just turn and face me. Quickly, anyone else? There's more coming. Anyone else? Just feel there's somebody else. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Getting things right with God, it begins, the Bible says, to confess Jesus as our Lord. It means that you're asking him to be in charge of your life and believe that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus is alive. He's not a historical figure, but he's someone who really walked the planet. He really died for you. He was really raised from the dead. You're serving a living God, not an idea. Today, some of you are drawing the line in the sand and you're saying, this is it. Some of you are saying, Jesus, I need you. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray with all of you. I'm going to talk with God with all of you. What that means is I'm going to say some words and I want to ask you to repeat them. But I want to ask you to mean it. Talk to God out loud with your voice, not just in your head. Talk with God out loud as we pray together. In fact, I want the whole house, everybody here, pray with me, please. Let's pray together and talk to God. God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me for everything I've done wrong. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. I give you all of my life. Help me to know you and to become who I was created to be. I give you my life. I, I today confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I ask you today to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to be my best friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everyone up front, look at me, please. I want to ask you all a question. I want you to be honest with me. Did you mean what you just prayed? The Bible tells us we meant what we just did there, and we've got things right with God. And it says that we were born into God's kingdom. That means, from heaven's perspective, several of you here could be just like newborn babies, like we got over here. Now, this baby here is a part of the family, but the baby still has to grow up and develop a relationship with family. In the same way, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're in the family of God. But now we grow and develop a relationship and get to know God for ourselves. The privilege that you have, the invitation you have, is to know God for you. Not an idea, not a religion, but to actually have a real relationship with God. And we have, we have things that they have here, the church, to help us to know how to start getting to know God for ourselves. Because it's not an ordinary relationship. 
It's a relationship with the creator of the universe, and it's amazing. It's a life of faith, and it's so incredible. It doesn't mean everything is sweet and everybody likes you all the time, but it does mean you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved.